The postseason is here, and the Ringer NBA show has you covered with Real Ones, Group Chat, The Answer, and Ringer NBA postgame. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast. Coming up next on New York, New York. It was a brutal night for the New York baseball locals. The Mets lose a starting pitcher. And the Yankees lose a game with Garrett Cole on the mound. And they leave a ton of ducks on the pond. To quote Joe Girardi, who might be coming up on this particular show, it's not what you want. We got you covered there. A crazy game two in the conference finals. And Sarah Kustak of the S Network will put a bow on the net season. And let's hope we're not putting a bow on the island this season. New York, New York, presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. Welcome in. It's a late night or an early morning, depending on where you may be. And welcome in to New York, New York, where you are truly J.J. Chancey right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And whoa, whoa, I'm still buzzing. We are recording this bad boy right after that dramatic, thrilling, edge of your seat, Suns win over the Los Angeles Clippers in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. Got a ton of thoughts on that. We'll get to that in a matter of moments. We got to begin, though, with what was a rather lousy night for the New York baseball locals. It was not a pleasant Tuesday in the least, if you're a Mets fan or if you're a Yankee fan. Let's start with the Mets. The Mets are seeing starting pitchers drop like flies over the last week or so. What's going on out at City Field? Joey Lucchese, Jacob DeGrom had his issues. Not tonight, it's Marcus Stroman. We know how valuable Stroman has been atop that rotation. He's been an anchor. He's pitched like an all-star. He's pitching for a contract. And you just knew with the reactions of James McCann and with the reactions of the New York Mets when they were on the mound with Marcus Stroman that something was not right. Leaves the game. Something going on with the hip. We don't know if he's going on the injured list or not. But this is bad news for the New York Mets. And the reason it's bad news for the New York Mets, the pitching has been carrying this team. The dirty little secret around the Mets, and it's been getting overlooked 
because they've been playing winning baseball. They're in first place in the National League East. They have not hit at all. And what happened here against the Atlanta Braves? They get shut out again. They've been shut out now four times in six games. That is ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. The Mets need those reinforcements back. Good thing McNeil is back. They need him. Conforto, coming back tomorrow. They need him. I thought Lindor, after hitting the two home runs and the doubleheader on Saturday, was about to take off. Like, I would have wagered on Frankie Lindor going on one of those 390, five-homer, 15-RBI stretches like you saw with Gary Sanchez. Since the two homers against the Nats, Lindor is two for 16 with a whole lot of weak contact. And you look at the numbers. Guys and gals, it's no longer early. It is the end of June, for goodness sakes. Lindor making a shitload of money. And I like him personally. I saw him pump up Diaz or the new pitcher the Mets brought in. I got to be honest. I didn't even know what the hell his name was. I mean, the Mets basically just got him right out of AAA. I had to like do a double take and a search to figure out who it was. I like Lindor firing up his teammates. I think Lindor's a good dude. I think he's a good leader. He's not performing. That's the God's honest truth. If you would have told me the Mets would be having Francisco Lindor in a situation where he's hitting like 216 with very little pop at the end of June, I would have said the Mets are in deep shit. They're still in first place. They're in first place because of their pitching. That pitching is going to be tested now over the next few weeks. And I've been saying it for a while. They shouldn't surprise anybody. Mets need to go get themselves a back-end starting pitcher who can eat some innings, take some pressure off that bullpen till you get some sort of update with Carrasco and with Syndergaard. So bad night for the Mets. And an unknown starting on Wednesday. God only knows what you're getting against the Braves. This week, if it goes ugly for the Mets, you're allowing the Braves and the Phillies right back in the thick of things in the National League East. That's the scary proposition. From one bad loss to another bad loss. I'll counter you four shutouts in six games to the Yankees squandering yet another Garrett Cole start. Now, I know a lot of stat geeks are going to be all over the fact that Cole's spin rate was down and his strikeouts were down. But again, seven innings of two-run baseball. I am never in a million years going to complain about seven innings of two-run baseball. But the Yankees lost this game tonight because their performance at the plate was an absolute embarrassment. The Yankees deserve to lose on Tuesday. Now, they had a great week. They went 5-1 and one against Toronto and Oakland. But when you have Cole on the mound against a mediocre to a bad Kansas City team, and you're chasing teams in the standings. This is the sort of game where if you're four or five games up, you're not happy. It kind of sucks. But you turn a page. You're on to the next day. The Yankees are chasing Tampa Bay. The Yankees are chasing Boston. The Yankees are chasing Oakland and Cleveland and Houston and all of these teams within the American League. You can't mess around and lose these sort of games. I'm sorry, you can't. I don't think I'm overreacting by saying this. 
That's the predicament the Yankees are in. Cold starts, bad team, lead, go and win it. I could kill Johnny Lasagna. Guy had a 14 scoreless streak going. Through 37 pitches the other night. I was surprised he pitched the eighth inning, quite frankly. Didn't have it. Was also not helped by some pathetic Yankee defense from Tyler Wade a couple of different times. A bad throw, which could have been scooped, by the way, from DJ LeMayu. Then Wade double clutching, not throwing it right away home. And also overlooking the fact that he could have turned to double play. He handled that play as badly as you could handle a play. Because he didn't commit. As a middle infielder, you have to commit in that situation. You have to say, all right, I'm going home. I'm not hesitating. Boom, that's the play. Or I'm going to try and turn two. He did none of the above, and it railroaded the Yankees. But again, the Yankees lost this game, not because of Jonathan Loisaga, and I'm not even going to say they lost this game because of Tyler Wade. The Yankees left a ton of guys on base. Listen to these numbers. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. 13 left on base. John Carlos Stanton left six on base. Yikes. Clint Frazier, who I know had a couple of good games over the weekend. I don't want to see Clint Frazier as the everyday left fielder for this team after the trade deadline. I'm sorry, I don't. I need a lefty bat. I'd rather see Andahar. Frazier 0 for 5 with three strikeouts, leaving six on base. And Torres is back into a woeful funk. He has the sombrero. His batting average is down under 250. His OPS is under 650. Gleyber Torres is stunk this year. And a year and a half ago, I thought he was the best everyday player on this team. Best everyday player on this team. Gleyber Torres has been awful in 2021. Now, there are some positives. LeMayu, I think, is all the way back. He's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He's hitting the ball hard. That's great to see. Luke Voigt made his return off the injured list and gave the team a spark. Hit a homer, bomb, still hasn't landed in the first inning. Hit a triple. We know Luke Voigt can kind of give you that infusion of energy, which I think this team desperately needs. Sanchez, obviously, is swinging a hot bat, and that was a hot topic of conversation early today, and I tweeted about this. Sanchez should have been in the lineup today. He's one of your hottest hitters. I'm fine with Higgy catching Cole. I know a lot of people were taking Aaron Boone and the Yankees to task on that. I didn't have a problem with that. My issue is Stanton. He could sit for a day. Or how about Giancarlo Stanton? What a concept. Get a glove, get your ass out in the outfield, and play nine innings in the field. You guys have called and have referenced this. I agree with you guys 1,000% on this point. The idea that Giancarlo Stanton can't play the outfield is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. That's something that needs to change between now and the end of this year. And if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. So be it. Please. He's going to get hurt playing the outfield for a game. That's just completely unacceptable. Bad loss for the Yankees. You cannot lose this series to Kansas City with Boston coming up over the weekend. Can't do it. And now the problem is you have Tyon and King going in the next two games. Not exactly ideal. So it's a bad night in New York baseball. I think the Los Angeles Clippers, though, might say, hold my beer. My goodness. First of all, that fourth quarter was just tremendous back and forth, tremendous theater, 
And the first two games of this Western Conference Finals have been wildly entertaining. I love watching Devin Booker play. I love seeing Pat Beverly get in his grill. I love the fact that, not I'm rooting for guys to get stitches, but Booker gets stitched up. He's coming back on the court. Like, that's great to see. And this game, in many ways, it was about to be the story of, well, the Suns let one slip away. They had a comfortable fourth quarter lead. The Clippers came alive. The Clippers hit some big shots down a stretch. And in the final minute or so, you want to talk about a roller coaster of emotions. It was a roller coaster of emotions. First off, before we get to all the craziness, all the drama, and everything that you're going to talk about in this game, before you get to any of that, there was a play inside, I want to say, about 10 seconds. The ball hitting off of Devin Booker's foot and going back to the Los Angeles Clippers. I hate those sort of reviews in the NBA. By letter of the law, the officials got it right. They did. They got it right. It's the equivalent of a spike coming off the base when you have instant replay on second and third base. It's just stupid. Stupid. The ball should have remained with the Phoenix Suns. Well, it didn't. Then all of a sudden, Paul George goes to the line. And think about this. Paul George, who in many ways, throughout this postseason, has redeemed himself. He's had a big postseason. He's had some big moments. He's been clutch. I give him a ton of credit. He went full Nick Anderson. Sorry, Saruti. I know it's a rough night for you, but I'm going to do it. He went full-born Nick Anderson. Missing those free throws inside of 10 seconds to play. But even with George missing those two free throws, it looked like the Clippers had it in the bag. Inside of basically a second to play. When you have that situation inbounding the basketball, you probably have like one out of a thousand, one out of five thousand, one out of a ten thousand chance of being able to execute that play. Phoenix and Monty Williams drew it up as beautifully as humanly possible. From the terrific pass to the DeAndre Ayton slam, not committing offensive goaltending. I mean, I could watch this over and over again. What a pass from Crowder. And then for Aiden to have the touch to finish with 0.7 seconds left. If you're Phoenix, you ride that high all the way to Los Angeles. That is going to be a fight with his hooting, his hollering. There's maybe some dancing. There's maybe some tequila and bourbon flying in the air. I know there would be if I were on the flight. If you're the Clippers, my goodness. Good luck trying to get to sleep. Good luck. Ain't going to be pretty. The Suns are fun, folks. They're fun. And they've won the first two games of this series without Chris Paul, who will be back and ready to rock for game three. I know a lot of people have been mentioning the fact that, oh, the NBA doesn't have the star power necessarily going into these conference finals. Who cares? First of all, they do. That's a bunch of crap. Giannis, Trey, Booker. And I like the parody. I like the fact that it's wide open at this point. I don't need the same old song and dance. When, when the Warriors played the Cavaliers three straight years, all right, the first year, second year was great. The third and the fourth year, those series sucked. Let's call it like it is. They sucked. I'll take this any day of the week. You could put me in a minority on that. 
I could be on an island by myself. I'll take this sort of NBA feel this time of the year as opposed to, oh, the, the, the star-driven league. Any day of the week and twice again on Sunday. What a win for the Suns. Holy moly, what a win for the Suns. I'm riding a high right now. I mean, we just watched an insane game. I feel like I had a lot to get off my chest with the baseball. So let's hit the voicemails right out of the gates, Rudy. That's how we're going to roll. That's what we're going to do. Voicemails right out of the gate. Lead off spot. Fire it up. What do we got? What up, JJ? Charlie from what's up? Uh, just I'm watching the Yankee game. They just blew the lead. It's down. They're down 6-3. I'm going to tell you, this team played with such a malaise brand of baseball. One week, they're playing like, oh, they're playing comeback, winning goal games. And next thing you know, this is a Kansas City ball. It's just a lousy ball club. They are losing to this team. They left 10 men on base before they blow, imploded in that eight, top of the eighth inning. And with Garrett Cole on the mound. And you got, you got Michael King and garbage shit Tyone starting the next start. Are you kidding me? You cannot lose on Garrett Cole's start. I mean, this team's a joke. And big problem that I have is watching this Yankee lineup is oh, the old man, 37-year-old, soon, soon to be 38-year-old Brett Gardner. Why is he playing? And uh, hell with it. Enough with the hell with Brett Gardner. Enough. Why, I know, why not bring in Esteban Fuero? What is the arrogance for the Yankees organization to bring him up? I mean, enough with Brett Gardner. I mean, what the hell? I mean, this is, this is absolute garbage crap. What the Yankees are doing against the Kansas City Royals. Jeez. Later, JJ. Great podcast. Love you. End the show. Bye. Charlie fired up right out of the gate. And I think anybody who listened to me at my old gig would tell you, I have been for years one of the most vocal supporters of Brett Gardner in a Yankee uniform. I love his passion. I love the way he plays the game. I think he's been an underrated and an underappreciated Yankee. Charlie's got a point, though. Brett Gardner should not be playing every day for this team. And I'll double down on that by saying that Clint Frazier, at this stage in the game, should not be getting every day at bats for this team. The Yankees need an infusion of outfield talent. Whether that's Cattell Marte, whether that's David Peralta, uh, whether that's Starling Marte, Andrew Benintendi, who I mentioned with Ruko the other day, they need left-handed outfielders. Athleticism and lefty bats. That's what I'm looking for. Gardner is a fourth outfielder at this stage. If that. He's probably not even a fourth outfielder. He is getting exposed by playing as much as he is. And yes, my confidence was not exactly sky high when I saw Frazier and I saw Gardner coming to the plate with the game on the line. All you need to know about the Yankees right now and the way their lineup is constructed, you wanted Gary Sanchez up with the game on the line. Think about that for a minute. If I would have told you back in early May that ninth inning, one-run game, go through the lineup, go through the roster of guys, that Sanchez would be high on that list of wanting him up in a big-time situation, you would have never in a million years believed me. Never. That narrative ain't changing with Garner, though. Garner's going to retire at the end of this year. He will not be a Yankee in 2022. But... 206 with a 628 OPS. No bueno. But get this. Frazier's hitting 187. Clint Frazier's been a monumental flop this year. We got a loaded show. More voicemails are coming up. We're switching it up a little bit today. 
We're going to hate you coming up right after this. We'll also set the stage for a game six out on Long Island. Want to go home for the New York Islanders? We'll have you covered on that. Uh, there was some interesting things going on in Major League Baseball outside the two disappointing losses for the New York baseball teams. We got you covered there. The great Sarah Kustak from the Yes Network is going to join us to put a nice little bow on a 2020-2021 Brooklyn Nets season. All that more. Loaded, loaded, loaded show. And I got a little extra fire. A little extra angst today. Because I think the Yankees just left another runner on base. New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So before we get to some more voicemails, we know on Wednesday, the Mets' tough predicament against the Braves because their starting pitching situation. Same could be said for the Yankees with their starting pitching situation. I, for one, am very much looking forward to my maiden voyage out to Long Island. It is happening, folks. I will be in the building. I will be in attendance. I will see Mike Carver. I will see Stu Finer. I will see James in Oakdale. I will see B Comp and all of the great New York Island fans. I hope I see Sean from Long Island for that matter. I hope he finds me out at the Nassau Coliseum. And... Folks, I hope it's not the last game that's played in this building. The Islanders could not have been worse in game five. The good news for the Islanders, that counts as one. I'm always of the belief, and I'm always of the mindset, I'd rather lose a game like that than lose an excruciating game the way the Clippers did, for example. You lose a game the way the Clippers lost game two of the West Finals, I'm sick. I'm beside myself. Can't eat, can't sleep, all that jazz. You lose the game the way the Isles did. Burn the game tape, as Rex Ryan did when they lost, what, 45-3 to or 48-3 to to the Patriots on Monday Night Football. Forget about it. It's the best thing you can do. Forget about it. The Islanders have been a tough bunch. They've been a resilient bunch. Now, they're in a position and in a predicament that they haven't been in in their first two series. Now, they return to Nassau Coliseum trying to stay alive. They return to Nassau Coliseum, trying to get it back down to Tampa for game number seven. I don't love the Islanders' chances in winning a game seven against this particular team. But in a game seven, anything can happen. You just want to get there. I think it's imperative you score first. I can't stress that enough. You cannot help out a team like Tampa by putting them on the power play. And you want that crowd to be a factor. It's going to be tough for that crowd to be a factor if you're down 2-0 after the first period. 
because that's how you can take the crowd completely out of the game. So I'm excited to experience the atmosphere, quite frankly. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. All I know is I'm going to have one hell of a story to tell on Thursday's podcast. And if you follow me on Instagram, at JJBombs19, eh, you'll be in for a shell. I can guarantee you that. You'll be in for a shell. All right, let's get back to some rowdy, rowdy voicemails. Who do we got? Hey, JJ, Nico from the Bay Area here. Just calling in with a uh, general baseball question, not actually Yankee-specific. Um, I don't know if you're, you watched the Phillies-Nationals game uh, that, that's going on where Mad Max, Max Scherzer, in the middle of an inning, runners on, one out, uh, Joe Girardi tells the ump to check Max for sticky substances. Now, prior to the inning, uh, Max was already checked. He was already clean. Mid-inning, Girardi tells the umps to go check him for sticky substances. You'll probably see the clip online. Scherzer was pissed, threw off his hat, unbuckled his belt. It was pretty hilarious. Um, but he goes back out on the mound, strikes out the next two batters. That's because he's Mad Max. He uses his, uh, his anger to his advantage. But do you think managers can start using this tactic to kind of ice the pitcher, to kind of throw him off his game? And how do you feel about that? I mean, for me, that's bullshit as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you're, you're telling me these managers can just do this consistently, say, hey, he's got sticky substances, go check him out. When, when the pitcher's in the middle of an, of an at-bat with runners on trying to get out of a jam, I mean, it's, it's insane. The, the MLB's got to figure out a way to properly uh, police that as well. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that, JJ. Uh, thanks again. Keep up the great work. Nico, I'm so glad that you brought this up because it was absolutely on the agenda for tonight's podcast. Because as I'm watching the Yankee game, as I'm watching the Met game, as I'm watching the Phoenix Los Angeles game, this instance came up during the SNY game break. And I was very much captivated by it. So, of course, I get on Twitter, I see a bunch of different clips on social media. And all I can say is the enforcement right now of what's going on with the quote unquote sticky stuff is an absolute shit show for Major League Baseball. That's number one. I'm not going to get mad at Max Scherzer. He is a fierce competitor. He is a future Hall of Famer. He's getting checked multiple times. And yeah, when he gets checked in the middle of an inning, he's probably like, what the fuck is going on here? Come on. Now on the flip side of that, I noticed a lot of people are getting on Joe Girardi. I, for one, though, kind of like my manager taking that sort of contrarian type of stance where, you know, you're going to try to use a little gamesmanship to your advantage. I like it. Now, Max Scherzer didn't like it. Now, the idea of Girardi and Scherzer going back and forth with one another, yeah, I mean, well, in all fairness to Joe Girardi, what do you want him to do? I love Max Scherzer. I love Joe Girardi. Two of my favorites in baseball. I'll always be appreciative of Girardi for the World Series with the Yankees in 96. Scherzer is one of my favorite pitchers to watch over the last 15 years. I love that dude. He could pitch on my team any day of the week. But the pitcher's calling you out and he's giving you the desk there. Yeah, I'm going to be like, dude, what's going on? You want to go? Let's go. I don't care if you're a manager, player, whatever. There's a whole lot to do about nothing. The problem Girardi's going to run into now is that the Nationals, hey, Aaron Knowles on the mound, and I'm Davey Martinez. I'm doing the exact same thing. You're going to check him at the end of the inning? Great. You're going to check him in the middle of the inning because, eh, I didn't like something? Yeah. You give it, you got to be able to take it. And I think to your point on this, 
You want to check guys at the end of the inning? Fine. The middle of the inning? Seems rather absurd. And having the managers basically make the call from a gamesmanship standpoint is above and beyond, if you ask me. It's above and beyond. But right now, there are no rules in place. And it's basically the wild, wild west of what you can and what you can't do. Nobody really seems to know quite yet. Seemed like Joe Girardi was trying to get himself a little bit of an advantage. That's usually not going to fly against a guy like Max Scherzer. That's the only thing. If anything, it's going to add more fuel to the fire for Scherzer to go and shut you down. That was a wild scene, though. So I'm glad you brought that up, Nico. That was definitely on our agenda, and you took care of it for me. And the shame of it for baseball is baseball has a phenom prospect in Wanda Franco called up for Tampa, makes his debut against the Red Sox, homers, great story, great game, and nobody in baseball is going to talk about that. Nobody in baseball is going to talk about Dodgers-Padres because you got this sticky stuff, crazy controversy going on. So between Scherzer and Sergio Romo dropping his pants, it was a, a, an interesting day, to say the least. Who's up next? What's up, JJ? It's your boy, Billy, from Queens. Needed to take some time to digest that absolutely gut-wrenching loss, but I am back. I am not dead. I am here. And first of all, it goes without saying, we were victims of circumstance. If this team's healthy, we're wiping the floor with Giannis and the Bucks, who is clunky and unskilled and whose game I absolutely hate. Secondly, I can't believe that we have people calling this show and saying that watching this team lose was the best moment of their life as a sports fan? The best moment of their life? What? I wish nothing but happiness for these people. Thirdly, dare I say that this loss helps humanize this team a little bit? And the adversity makes us more likable? Because of this loss, we will have more fans next year. Kevin Durant is a guy that people are secretly hoping win after the way he left his heart on the court in this series. And lastly, I don't want to hear a word about how this Nets team didn't build it the right way. Sean Marks and D'Angelo Russell and the 2018 Nets were complete overachievers who built a winning culture and who, like your friend Maria said, remind me a lot of the Knicks this year. And make no mistake, for the Knicks to get any of the guys that we got, or this year, their Kawhi or their Dame, there is not a single player on your roster that would not be expendable. And nobody would say the Knicks sold their soul to get them. They would rejoice. And I honestly hope that you do get them, because I want to see competition on the floor between these two teams, not just with attendance. Anyways, love you. Appreciated your take on the game. It was very kind. Go Nets. Go Yanks. Peace. Billy, bringing some fire. I love it. I absolutely love it. The idea that Brooklyn went about things in some sort of fugazi way is nonsense. What do you want Brooklyn to do? Stick with the likes of D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Joe Harris and think that's going to be a championship team? Come on. Sometimes you got to use a little bit of common sense. 
Anybody would want Kevin Durant on their team. Anybody. Now, I take Kyrie Irving's talent. I, I wouldn't want to root for Kyrie Irving. I have to be honest with you on that. And I wanted him on the Knicks two years ago. And if it meant I got Kevin Durant, would I take Kyrie Irving? Yes, of, of course. I'm not going to overlook that. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But Durant's game and even his kind of personality, he could be a little bit of a baby. But for the most part, I think he's a cool dude. Irving, on the other hand, I think he's on another planet. I think he's in outer space half the time. And he's done stuff that has alienated me beyond belief. So I don't know if Brooklyn became more likable. I do understand your point, though, about Kevin Durant in the idea of seeing him in this postseason, seeing him in this Milwaukee series, look like, play like, the best player in the NBA. And looking like a guy who's going to be that force going into next year. And any questions and any doubts about, well, can he be the same guy after the Achilles injury? I think those questions were answered this year. Maybe didn't enough play, you know, maybe didn't play enough games for your liking in the regular season, but in the postseason, when you needed him the most, he looked like the Durant old to me. Nets will be back. Bothers me. I don't particularly like it. They're going to be back. They need their guys on the court. It's really as simple as that. Who's up next? How you doing, JJ? This is Matt from, from Manhattan here. Yo, I just came from the Yankees Royals game. I don't know what the fuck the problem is with New York right now. They left the bases loaded. Not once, twice, JJ, twice. And then not only that, Loisica comes in and gives up four runs just like that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The Yankees really got to step it up. They're going to even consider making October. Thanks, JJ. Love the show. Well, I appreciate it. Tough night at the stadium. I'm looking forward next week to being out at the stadium. I'm going to go Wednesday for the Angel game, and I'm going to go Friday, and my fingers were crossed that we were going to get a cold DeGrom start for the Subway Series. Seems unlikely. Cole's going to be making that start, but with the Met rotation being an absolute shambles, the Mets are going to need DeGrom to pitch this weekend on regular rest, and they're going to need him on Thursday against the Atlanta Braves. They need to win these games in the division. They're more important than the Subway Series. That's just the simple God's honest truth. They're more important. It was a brutal night for the Yankees. Yeah, Loisica blew up in the eighth inning. Guess what? Defense didn't help him out. And the Yankee bats should have never put him in that position. You have 13 runners on base, and you go 0-10 with runners in scoring position. You deserve to lose that game. Now let me see the Yankees go win the next two. With King and with Tyon on the mound. Be a bad series loss against Kansas City going up to Boston this weekend. Bad series loss. You don't want that. After the good week you had last week, you want to keep those positive vibes and that positive juju working your way. Tough night for the Yanks. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. It's Morris from Brooklyn. Calling in to rant a little bit about fucking Aaron Boone. How do you bring up Rubnet Odor rather than Miguel and Duhar? I don't care about the defensive alignment. And Duhar has played first base. Obviously not a great first base, but he's played first base. Bring him up in that situation. Don't bring up Odor, who hasn't hit a fucking beach ball in three months. Plain and simple. Love the show, JJ, but that's fucking ridiculous on Boone. I wanted to see Miggy up in that spot, but I'm not going to roast Aaron Boone for the decision, and here's why. Rugnet Odor has had a lot of big hits for the Yankees this year. His batting average has been awful. 
I understand your point about the last month and the sample size not being there. Again, we're in agreement. I wanted Andujar up bottom half of the eighth inning uh, when Aaron Judge missed a homer by a couple inches. He was thinking, all right, righty on the mound. Odor's had some big hits. Maybe he runs into one. Wrong call. Not the reason the Yankees lost the game. I think Gleyber Torres and Clint Frazier have more to say about that. But not the right call. Who's up next? JJ, I've said this a million times. This team just does not hit in the clutch. I don't care that they took two out of three from Oakland. Okay, they're showing their true colors the whole freaking year. They cannot hit in the clutch, even if, and it's a big if, they make it to the playoffs, it's going to be the same story. This team is not built correctly. Okay, you can bring in a regular pitcher, like a garbage pail in Greg Howland, gets guys out because, again, there's no switch hitters on this goddamn team. Okay, Sanchez is up there, automatically walks him. It's a joke. Going to rely on Brett fucking Gardner? This guy shouldn't even be on the fucking team, man. This guy is finished. Disgrace. Yankee fans down on Brett Gardner, and I understand why. And I have been maybe the last holdout to hop on this train. It's time. You're not going to DFA him in his final year. He's going to be the fourth outfielder. And listen, the Yankees don't have a guy who could play center field. When Aaron Hicks out, they don't have anybody who could play center field. That's got to change between now and July 31st. The Yankees cannot expect to go into August and September with Brett Garner getting every day at bats in the outfield. I like to think that Brian Cashman knows that. Cannot expect that to be the case. Who do we got? JJ, it's Anthony and Syosset. Uh The Yankee game's not over yet, but in the event that they don't overcome that four-run eighth inning to the uh, to the Royals, I just want to say, in the box score, it may look like Loisega got lit up that inning, but the fact of the matter remains, he gave up a few ground balls that went to second base that should have ended the inning. You had first, uh, not a great throw, but not a good throw by Wade over to first base. And then you had basically a, a double play, which would have ended the inning, and Wade wanted to come home. I mean, it's been a while since I've left you a message regarding this skinny jean, high-top Instagram fuck. But again, what is his purpose on this team? Has he stolen a big base? No. Can he play defense? No. Again, why is he here other than to post on Instagram? Why is Tyler Wade on this team? Anthony, I don't have an answer for you. Tyler Wade cannot hit a lick. They bring Tyler Wade into run in the bottom half of the seventh inning. Then he's supposed to play defense. Two defensive mistakes. Now, the first defensive mistake you could argue, T.J. LeMay, you should have scooped the baseball. It was a scoopable ball at first base. Sure. The second play was also its indecisiveness. You've got to commit. I'm turning the double play. I'm throwing home. He was kind of in between. You can't be in between. First and third, one out. You got to be decisive in that situation. Kill it for the Yankees. And yeah, I, for the life of me, don't really see a purpose for Tyler Wade on this team. I know you like getting after the Instagram and the skinny jeans, but his baseball prowess is not bringing much to the table. Beyond that. Two to go. What do we got? JJ, this is Casey from Queens. I'm sitting here trying to enjoy the Met game. And in the last four days, I've seen Joey Lucchese go down with a torn UCL. I've seen Gazelma go down, I think, with a torn lat. 
I've seen Gary's familiar go on the IL with a hip impingement. And now in the first or in the second inning, excuse me, I see Stroman go down with an injury. We don't know what it is yet. Can you explain to me what the fuck these athletes are doing these days? All year, they work out, they train, the strength and conditioning. All year, it's a 365 days, yet each and every one of them is made of glass. What are they doing? I can't take it anymore. The Mets can't afford this kind of stuff anymore. What are these athletes doing? Something has to change. And it's all throughout sports. These guys, they can't burst. They get hurt. It, 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 it's ridiculous. I can't watch it anymore. It's just replacement player after replacement player after replacement player. Something needs to change in the modern game. These athletes are doing something wrong. All right. Thanks. Well, I'm glad that you got that off your chest. And it is amazing to think about in baseball, the epidemic with injuries over the years. And I get throwing a baseball is a very unnatural thing. You're throwing it 98, 99. Your mechanics may not be perfect. Things can go a certain way where it's just unnatural. But the amount of hammies and groins and this and that, it is insane when you think about it. Now, I wasn't doing sports talk in the 1980s. Jeez, I wasn't even a thought until the late 1980s. But it seems like the injury epidemic has gotten worse and worse and worse. And these guys are in better and better shape. The technology is better and better. Sometimes you wonder, I always did, with baseball being as specialized as it is where these younger guys are throwing from 11, 12, 13, 14, all year round, if that's having a negative impact on their arms and whatnot. But it goes beyond that. Because you're right, you've seen it in the other sports too. These guys are in amazing shape, and yet their bodies are breaking down. I don't have an answer for you. I don't. If it only were that simple. But yeah, year after year, in every single sport, the injury factor... Not just with like these serious, significant injuries. I'm talking about the tweaks that become significant tweaks have quite the impact. I wish I had a PhD to figure that one out. Because I can tell you this. Spotify takes care of me. Ringer takes care of me. If I could figure that out, oh boy. I'd be uh, Steve Ballmer or I'd be uh, Jeff Bezos. Because I think uh, I'd be even in higher demand. I think I'm in pretty good demand right now, but I think I'd be blowing it out of the water if I could figure it out. Dirty little secret out. Last but not least, who's on the horn? Hey, JJ. Sean from Long Island calling you in the morning after the Islanders. Very one-sided loss, Tampa in game five. Um, feeling surprisingly upbeat, though. You know, I think part of it is being a little shell-shocked, but gained a new appreciation for that Ryan Pulak play in game four. I think if he doesn't block that and Tampa steals that game, I think something very similar happens in Game 5, and it would have been elimination for the Islanders and a really awful end to a special season. But Pulak did make that block, and he ensured at least one more memory, one more game at the Coliseum. Um, and there's a lot of fan bases out there who would kill to be in a Game 6 in the Final Four, and the Islanders got to see at the moment. Uh, it was a really, really brutal game tonight, but 
I think it was a little naive to think that the lower seed Islanders can go through Pittsburgh, go through Boston, go through Tampa without even facing an elimination game yet. So it will be an elimination game, obviously, in game six. Uh, you got to keep the faith on this one. And I think win or lose, there's a strong possibility based on game five, this might be the last game there. So Islanders fans, keep that in mind. Bring the energy. Bring the fire. And just believe because we have the best coach in the league. We're going to make some adjustments, and they're going to do something special on Wednesday. I know you'll be there, JJ. Maybe uh, tweet out your location. I'd love to uh, meet up, buy a beer. And, uh, take care of yourself, man. Enjoy your first game. Let's go, Islanders. Believe it. I love the positive attitude from Strong and Long Island. And remember, it's only one loss. That's the good news for the Islanders. Doesn't count for more than that. First elimination game this group's going to be facing this year. We'll see if they're up to the challenge. And I can tell you this, I cannot wait to get out there. I don't know where I'm sitting yet. I'm going to figure that out at some point Wednesday morning. Got a nice day planned, a little morning golf. Get a little running. And then I find my way out to the Coliseum for what should be a rocking, crazy type of scene. So, you'll see on the Instagram story. And if you see me, be nice. I don't bite. Say hello. Just don't throw like a tomato or a beer can in my head. If you do that, then there's a problem. Come on. Keep it classy. Coming up next, she killed it all year for the Yes Network. The great Sarah Kustak. I've never had her on the show, so I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with Sarah. As the next season comes to a close, we'll put a nice little bow on 2020-2021. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. Let's welcome in, I think, one of the rock stars now in NBA media. She did a fabulous job with my dude, Ian Eagle, all season long on the S Network, the great Sarah Kustak. What's up, Sarah? How you doing? JJ, awesome to be with you. Ian Eagle can make, can make everyone look good. You are right about that. But, Sarah, listen, even with Ian doing his part and working his magic, no, 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 no. Ian <laughs> has that magic for everybody. But you nailed it all year with the Nets. You were a pleasure to listen to. And, you know, as you are someone that, like, immerses themselves in a, like, net basketball day in and day out, you know, I guess it's some sort of a relief when the season's over. You're thinking about the offseason. But, man, that, like, Kevin Durant shot at the end of regulation. Uh, Sarah, game inches. We might be talking about game one of a conference final if KD's foot's behind that three-point line. 
how insane is that? It, ma it made me chuckle in his post-game presser when, when he was talking about his, his big old big old toe and that he wears a, a size shoe a little bit bigger for him. But it's insane because that building was ready to explode. And the crazy thing is there was that feel. When you watch a guy, you know, take a shot, you could tell he was right there on the line. Um, and it felt a little tight. But I was shot. I mean, even it going through in the first place and the shot he got off was just unbelievable. But man, we talk about games of inches or, or one little one little dynamic to what could have been an entirely different story potentially for this postseason. It's, it's amazing to think about. No doubt. And, you know, I think about it, Sarah, when he came over from Golden State, it's the question of the Achilles. And will Kevin Durant be able to be the same sort of player that he was in Oklahoma City, the same sort of guy he was with the Golden State Warriors. And even though the Nets end up losing this series, I, I came away after watching Game 5 and after watching Game 7, I'm like, holy smokes, he's the best player on the planet. He's 100% back to where he needs to be. Is that a fair and accurate statement? You watched him all year. I think he's the Kevin Durant that I've seen, quite frankly, for his entire career. Without a doubt. And the thing to remember uh, for so many, you talk about being immersed in, in Brooklyn Nets basketball throughout the course of the year. And I know everyone was paying attention uh, to the Nets more so this season, but he played in just 35 games during the regular season. So to think about what he was able to do just two years removed from rupturing that Achilles in the postseason, the different iterations of who was on the floor when he was carrying the team by himself, um, the performances that he put together truly historic performances was remarkable. And I think just so much to the versatility of his game. We, we know, you know, we know what he, he can do in terms of scoring one of the most prolific scores you know, in NBA history with his size, with the skill set, the tight handles. But as that Milwaukee series went on and the Bucks were throwing different looks at him, different players at him, the level of physicality, um, how he was reading and picking that apart, still facilitating what he was doing on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, my goodness, like a, a ton of disappointment, obviously, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets fan base to not see the team advance, but more so too, just watching how Durant was continuing uh, to peak more and more each and every game. It, it really is just astonishing to think about where he was, how he came back, and how he still looked. And listen, the elephant in the room, the injuries. If they have Kyrie Irving and if they have James Harden at full strength, I fully expect, Sarah, that they're going to win this series. But I have to wonder with a guy like Harden, he looked completely out of shape when he was with Houston. He didn't want to be there. We know he wanted to trade. And for whatever the reason, Sarah, when he came to Brooklyn, he was the James Harden old. He was playing some of the best basketball in his career. And I'm not a doctor, and I'm not trying to necessarily draw the direct correlation but I would make the argument that James Harden, in order to be, you know, a guy that's going to get through an entire postseason, I, I, you got to be in better shape going into November, December, and beyond. Do you think that played a role in any of the hamstring stuff, or is it just unfortunate bad luck? Uh, there's layers to that, and I do think that that has been pointed to when you look at the the beginning portion of the season and of the year uh, coming in. I think in some ways he acknowledged that in his last in the you know post game press conference 
um, about getting ready for next season, taking care of your body, all sorts of things. Um, but when it specifically comes to the postseason, and if you'll remember, and again, it, it's all interlinked, he had dealt with, and, and I don't have my my timeline, my, my, my brain is almost in off-season mode, JJ. Yeah, welcome uh, to but, my world, but, Sarah. That's okay. But how yeah, much, totally you know, fair. miss it? Missing those those final two, he he essentially had two three setbacks with that same hamstring um, when he first tried to come back, and then you know played five minutes against in the Knicks game, and then was out against so leading into the postseason in general. Um, he really hadn't played up until that final week of the regular season uh, for, if I recall correctly, close to like two months or so. Um, so, you know, then you have the week in between when the play in tournament was taking place and then he comes back for the postseason. So I, I don't know how much you attribute to what, but what I think we all know just in watching Harden throughout the course of his career is something that he's always taken a ton of pride in is just what a durable player he is. And for as many, you know, characteristics as he brings to the table, availability has always been one of them. So that was a unique aspect of this season and whether it was a regular season or the postseason of just him dealing with an injury and, and as he called it the whether worst or longest injury of his career that it kept him out um, it, it's something to obviously I'm sure he's going to take note of it and pay attention to but man injuries you know injuries were the thing and in all season long for Brooklyn you know the countdown was on of of saying how much time does this big three need to play together in order to have the requisite chemistry in the postseason and you know it was one of those situations they go into the postseason haven't played eight games together and you know it, it was less about you know, the thought of being injured in the postseason it was like okay finally everyone's healthy so chemistry off court is is great they're going to figure it out because of the elite level talent on the floor and you didn't really factor in that man the, even though you're healthy heading into this postseason there there was still the possibility which came into play of uh, that they would not make it all healthy um, throughout their playoff run and that's my thing sarah i think going into next year they're going to be the odds-on favorites. They're going to be when FanDuel, you know, releases their title odds in a couple of weeks after the season wraps up. <laughs> Brooklyn is going to be number one on that list with Durant, with Irving, with Harden. And, you know, I'd argue they need to go and get themselves a veteran rim protector between now and whenever the regular season gets going. But I think the biggest question, I wonder if you feel this way too, for this team next year and a year after that, if they're going to live out that championship potential, I think the number one thing that's probably standing in their way is the health of Durant, Irving, and Harden. Is that accurate? I see it that way. If those guys are healthy and where they need to be come playoff time, I'm going to like their chances of beating anybody in a seven-game series. You nailed it. You nailed it. And I think you'd have a hard time finding anyone arguing uh, with you on that point. And, and so it's going to be something that's going to be the primary focus as it always would be anytime you have elite level stars. So much of what we always say is predicated on health, but in particular with these three players, what you were able to see when they were on the floor together, um, how well in many ways, their styles, figuring out roles really complemented one another. Um, that is that they, um, you know, adapted to so quickly along with, to your point of, of pieces around it. And this was the first season with those three guys. And I think, you know, for Sean Marks, the front office coaching staff in general, a, a good idea of who fits well around them. They do have some flexibility and room in terms of the roster and who's coming back, who's free agents, just kind of how they go about all of that. 
Um, but I, with those three players and with how they looked when healthy, um, I, I think, you know, to obviously I cover the team. So it's, in many cases, you know, you're looking at it through the prism of having watched them day in, day out. But but I don't think there there's any way that you, you really start to think um, that that's not the case. I got a bunch of calls right after game seven, Sarah, questioning whether or not Joe Harris is going to be a part of this team. And for me, it's it's a non-negotiable non-starter. He's a part of this team. He's been a glue guy. They paid him a ton of money. He's been money for them from beyond the three-point arc for the last couple of years. Now, he had a terrible series against Milwaukee. He couldn't hit a shot. I, for the life of me, can't figure out why he played as poorly as he did. Maybe it's not having Kyrie. Maybe it's not having a healthy James Harden. Um, but after this series, Sarah, do you still feel Joe Harris is a major part of what they should be looking to do? Or is he a guy... That if Sarah Kustak was the general manager of the team, would she be looking to make a trade? No, he's he's a Brooklyn net. He's a part of this group, and um, he 100% would be a piece of what you want for this group moving forward. And uh, JJ, you said everything. Like it, it, it's hard to contextualize everything when you think about what would have happened if Joe Harris looked like the Joe Harris. Um, I shouldn't say it's hard to, to think about. It's pretty easy to think about. Yeah, we'd be uh, talking what, about what, game one Wednesday night. Yeah, you'd what, still be working Saturday this week. Yeah, you'd still be working. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be I'd be gearing up and talking to you about game one of the series coming up. But um, but but that's like the crazy part is even if in in that we're not talking about blistering Joe Harris that we have seen so often, but we're talking about a, a normal, you know, Joe Harris forty percent shooting. Uh, series that a lot of things would look different. It's hard to figure out. I think only Joe knows that he is not someone, you know how there's sometimes players you, you may identify um, as, as feeling, feeling the pressure, feeling the weight, feeling weights of those moments. And, and you question how they will react. I mean, Joe is as tough as they come. We have seen him. And again, it's, it's the regular season, but he has played in big games that mattered in the regular season. He has wanted the ball. He's taken the big shots. He's, Missed shots and come through and made some. Like it, he is to me someone that that embodies the you know the inner strength and toughness of someone that you would count on in those moments. So until you know, this is so often how we look at things with, with sports and you know with basketball with the series. Until you have these opportunities again, until you get through another playoff series, like that that thought will be out there. However, Joe has been extraordinary not only in just how he unlocks this offense when you do have those stars and key players on the floor, um, but he's added so much to his game. We know him to be the the NBA leader in three point percentage, like he has been last last season and, and for two seasons, three point champ. Um, but he's now figured out how to add to his game when they try and run him off the three-point line, how to make himself available. Otherwise, he's so good cutting his feel for the game, um, made himself a, a solid defender. I mean, that's it's another thing to say. He he was also in many ways uh, targeted on the defensive end throughout the course of the series or, you know, guarding Chris Middleton and the, and the work that he had to do on that. And um, that factors in just carrying that load. I think the surprising thing, for a lot of us who have watched him through his career and um, you know, Joe is absolutely one of my favorites. And I think has always been one of the, the fan favorites of Brooklyn Nets fans for the grittiness he brings to the table, um, just the amount of clean looks. Right. And so in, especially in game seven, there was that one late uh, that he was wide open that I think would change, uh, change the complexion of the game, busted things open. And so I think 
you're so used to watching Joe knock down so many tough shots. And it's like, man, he's, he's getting some quality looks. So when you mentioned it, you know, not having necessarily the Harden we know him to be or Kyrie not on the floor, Joe was, Joe was still loosened up for, for a handful of, of quality looks that I think you're just accustomed to knocking him down. But for someone like Joe, for the organization, for what you've seen out of him throughout the course of what the past, you know, four or five years, I, Everyone goes through slumps. Everyone goes through some downtimes. And I think for better or worse, it was at the the worst possible time of the year for this Nets team. But, you know, if they find a way to to manage through it, and if you're looking at the Eastern Conference final, you make your way through the next, you know, the next series. Uh, my bet would be that he would figure his way out of that. And, you know, we would potentially be looking at this and framing this in a different way. You're around the team every day. I'm always curious when you have a Hall of Fame player, an all-star player, make the transition into being a head coach. What was your biggest takeaway from watching Steve Nash, this all-world point guard, now take on this new gig? He does it for the first year. Sarah Kustak's biggest takeaway in watching Steve Nash coach, what would that be? Communication and composure. I was blown away at his uh, feel for engaging and understanding what he knew, what he didn't know. Um, the, as I'm sure you have known and imagined him to be as a player, um, the the extraordinary basketball IQ, um, but the the humble nature that he brings to the table, translating into a head coach. So I think sometimes you have rookie head coach or first year head coach, or, or it really could be at any point in their career um, who wants so much of the responsibility or the authority or um, making sure, you know, that it's their ship that they're running. I think when it came to Steve, um, he was just, it had a, a good balance and flow of, um, you know, when he needed to make sure to exert that power. And, um, and he was very definitive about what he wanted or what he thought or his opinions. Um, but he was willing to, to listen to players, listen to his staff, um, rely on some of the others. And then ultimately he would do what he felt like was best as the head coach. But I think um, for him, it was just always about team. It was never about him. It was always about trying to relate and resonate with the players and um, do what he felt like was best for them to win. And I think we saw him grow throughout the course of the season. Um, also, his first, you know, his first postseason as a head coach for as many as he's experienced as a player. And so I think for all those reasons, um, there was just a steadiness and a level of consistency um, in his character, in his personality that I think voted really well for this group, especially through the the situations that they had injuries or lost players or were dealing with different, you know, lineups and combinations that had so much change throughout the course of the year with who was available and not and the, um, the adaptability they needed to have. And I think just his steadiness uh, was one of the biggest traits why they were able to finish the season with that second seed um, and put themselves in the position they did in the playoffs. I'm going to let you be a fortune teller now, and there's no pressure on you here. No pressure, Sarah, I promise. But it's a wide-open Final Four this year. I mean, nobody in their right mind could have imagined it would be oh, Atlanta. You're going here, Milwaukee. JJ. You're going oh, here. Oh, I'm going here. I'm going here because I want to see if we're on the same page. I'm giving you one of these four teams, Sarah. We're going to play a little, you know, Shark Tank. I'm going to let you buy stock in one of these four to win an oh, NBA title. Okay. Atlanta, okay. Milwaukee, Phoenix, Clippers. Who's bringing it home? Man, you you're making this tough on me. Um, That's what I do. That's how we roll. 
I, so I, I'm torn. If I'm being honest, I'm torn between Phoenix and Milwaukee. Me too. Um, and, and there's no, I don't, I don't have, uh, I, I'm going to take out any of my, my wants or hopes, or if I have any, any bias, I, I'm going with Phoenix. I'm riding with Phoenix. I'm buying in. Um, I think it'd be a beautiful story for, for Chris Paul, for Monty Williams, for big game book. Um, He's and I think so the much Bucks, fun to watch, Sarah. I love oh, his God, game. I love, I Did love you see this, team. Sarah? Did you see Devin Booker being like a number one player on like a championship caliber team? I always liked him. I always know he could score with the best of them. But the way his game has evolved this year has been really fun to watch. It's easy for me to say this now <laughs> as, we, as we've watched him uh, shine. But I do think there's aspects of his game, like even the improvements he's made defensively, even like how the game seemingly has slowed down and his reads and the passing he's making. And um, he's always, always had an ability to shot make, um, but just how he's picking and choosing, getting to his spots. And, you know, it, it, the list is so long. I mean, this is a guy we're talking about put up 70 points and get like he, he can score. He is a bucket. Um, but there is something to be said for when you are competing at a level of really tasting a title or tasting a chance to make a run in the playoffs. Um, and I think there's a lot of us, so many of the questions coming in about Phoenix, when you thought about the postseason and where they were at was, do they have the requisite experience in the, you know, Devin hadn't been there and DeAndre Ayton hadn't been there and, uh, uh, Mikael Bridges and Camp, you know, all, all these different guys that played such key roles and how they would respond and react. And Booker seemed like the one guy that the moment would never be too big. Like you just thought that he would be able to meet that moment and play um, within himself, how we saw that he, he is one of my favorite players to watch. Um, but that team, I think it, and that's not to say that you don't see these same things about, Milwaukee or the Bucks or, or what they may be able to do. Cause I, I thought they were, you know, give credit. I know Durant talked about it after the game, but for as much as we talk about the Nets injuries, I, I do think there are so many things about Milwaukee that you like. Um, and if they've started to figure it out, maybe some of the pressure that they have felt in their postseasons of the past have, have been alleviated a little bit as they've gotten to this round. Um, but Phoenix, they just understand the role. Like everyone knows exactly what they're supposed to do. Everyone knows exactly what's expected of them. Um, they've got such a, you could tell when guys play for each other, enjoy each other, have the chemistry on the floor and off the floor that I think matters when you're looking at it, facing the challenges that come with, with a title run. Um, but there, that, that group has something special. Um, and to have gotten to this point, to have knocked off the Lakers, um, being where they're at in this circumstance, I'm not sure, uh, what the timeline may be for, for Chris Paul coming back, but still, I, I think, I think they got something special. So if you made me, if you made me put some money down, um, it would, it would likely at this point, cause I think it really is a wide open, wide open, uh, playoffs here at this point, but, but they would probably be my pick. I like the sound of that. A little bit of a sentimental choice with Chris Paul and those high-flying Phoenix Suns. Okay, Sarah, final one. I'm putting you on the spot. Wait a second. Your response, your response makes me think that you're going with the Bucks. No, I'm, I'm actually thinking Phoenix, to be honest with you. Oh, okay. I'm right there okay. with you. No, okay. I, I think Milwaukee will beat Atlanta, though. I do. And I've been picking against Atlanta every series, and I didn't think there was and a then chance in hell they would beat like, Philly. Like, talk about fun. Trey Young, listen, team. and he stuck it oh. to my Knicks. Sarah, he could play for my team any day of the week. That guy's got swagger. He plays with a little chutzpah. And he showed me, correct me if I'm wrong, I love seeing a guy 
go two of 16 for three quarters in a game seven and not wilt and basically be like, screw it. The next shot's going in. And at the end of the game, he made like three or four massive plays that won Atlanta that game. I love seeing that. Huge. Talk about teams you love. Oh, I I could not agree with you more. I mean, that's special. That's special. And for that group and what Nate McMillan has done, yeah, all the things. I'm excited. We we've got some good we've got some good conference finals here. Um, I like the sound of that. Now, and guys, you like to root for. You have Illinois through your blood. I know that. But now that you've spent all this time here in New York, has New York pizza won you over as opposed to deep dish style? Come on, Sarah. Come on. It's no contest. I I got to get an answer now that you're here in New York for a long, long time now. Has the New York pizza won you over? JJ, I I got two things on this. One, if there there are few things that I love more than pizza. Like okay. I love, me too. I love, so you could give me any type of pizza from anywhere, and there's a good chance you're going to be happy. Gonna, hey, and I'm going to be super happy. Uh, Giordano's, I had it when I was in Chicago. All the, it was good. So even if I'm like on like at the corner and I'm picking up a 99 cent slice, I I'm in you're in. It. It's okay, a, fair in. enough. Um, not yet. No, I, I, I love that's This is where I have a hard time differentiating. Um, it's one a one b to me, but all the different. But Chicago pizza to me is not. So I grew up obviously in Chicago and ate a ton of pizza and we can go down for another podcast. I'll give you all my rankings. Nice. Deep I will take pizza. note of this when I go to Wrigley for the Yankees in a couple of years. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'll send you, this, I'm, I'm sending you a whole, sending you a whole list. Deep nice. pizza to me, it's not like the essence of Chicago pizza. Chicago pizza to me is tavern style. So Interesting. Like, okay. yeah. So like you got like, when you go to like Palermo's or Aurelio's or Giordano's will make this or Lou Malnati's when you get because thin crust Chicago pizza isn't the paper thin like New York it's like a mill ground thin but they cut it it's tavern style so you're cutting it in squares you got some little triangle corners Um, but that to me is my favorite pizza Um, uh, above deep dish so I would go the tavern style thin crust which is not as you know it in New York thin crust Chicago then New York pizza a, sli- a good thin crust slice or, or any, and then like deep dishes is, is then third. So it's all interwoven. How do you like that for an answer, JJ? I, that How does do you like the that trick. for an answer, now, JJ? Now that you have gotten off the hot seat, NBA predictions and a little pizza conversation, now Sarah Kustak can go and enjoy her NBA offseason. And hopefully, Sarah, after a long year with all these crazy protocols, Maybe there's a nice vacation for you on the horizon. I hope there's a little, there's yeah, there's, there's some, a little getaway. There's some getaway that, that'll be coming up. So well-deserved. Yeah. Listen, it better be. I would have been disappointed if the answer was no, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, but, but I'll be locked in. I'll be locked in. We'll have to do this again and, and see if some of our predictions, uh, some of our predictions are correct here as the NBA playoffs continue. I like the sound of that. And there's nowhere to go but up after the first couple of rounds for me. Sarah, keep up the good work. Continued <laughs> success, okay? You're, you're the best, JJ. Thanks for having me. So Sarah Kustak and I, I think we're on to something. Phoenix and Milwaukee in the NBA Finals in about a week and a half. Game one with Atlanta and Milwaukee. Listen, the Hawks have been making me look stupid this entire postseason. I didn't love them against the Knicks. Prove me wrong. I definitely didn't love them against the Sixers. Really proved me wrong. After Milwaukee just got through Durant and Brooklyn, I can't see them losing this series. Now, I think Atlanta will test them. I do not think this series will be easy. 
But I think the physicality of what Milwaukee brings to the table will be overwhelming. I'm going to take Milwaukee to win this series in six. I'm going to lay the seven and a half with the Bucs in game number one. And that is going to be our play on hardwood. Now, I'm going to the Islander game tomorrow night. And of course, I'm going down with the ship. I've seen this line has gone down from 154 to 150. Come on, I'm going. There's too much karma, too much juju in the air. I can't be attending my first ever Islander game and they get eliminated and it's the final game at the Nassau Coliseum. Well, if it's going to be the final game at the Nassau Coliseum, it had better be a win. So Bucks, Islanders, that is the card for tomorrow. And basically, if you're a Yankee and a Mets fan with the pitching situation, say your prayers. Before we say goodbye, the great Jeff Money, he's cooking. What's happening, buddy? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for tomorrow, Wednesday, the 23rd. I'm going to take the Hawks plus the seven over the Bucks. Now, I know the Hawks, uh, I mean, I know the Bucks at home the last three years, they're 4-0 against them, but as far as the cover, covering about 50%, but I think this game one is going to be a tight game to try to feel each other out, so I'm going to take the Hawks plus the seven. That's my play. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Well, Jeff Money, good news for you. With the way the second round of the NBA playoffs treated me, you might be getting off to a roaring start. I have been ice cold here in the second round of the playoffs. Now, I did hit Phoenix in game one. I did have the Clippers plus the points in game two, and I did pounce on Phoenix to win the series. So hopefully there's some positive energy coming my way. Thursday, we have a very fun podcast lined up because we'll get you ready for the Yankees and the Red Sox. We'll get you ready for the Mets and the Phillies. And a guy by the name of Hank Azaria is going to be stopping by. Brock Meyer, Simpsons, big Mets fan. So I'm looking forward to having some fun with Hank Azaria. Great job. Fellas, wonderful, wonderful work. We are back. And if you want to get in touch with the show and you're wondering how to get in touch with the show, very easy. Get aboard. Voicemail line, right? It's simple. Anybody can do it. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. JJ out. We'll chat Thursday. Be good, everybody.